0: بَعْدَهَا So, uh, he was talking about how to pray the Salat of dhuhr That's where we left off. And then he mentions that it is, it is liked that a person should... Uh, Pray Nafl uh, uh, um, after salat al-luhur, and the word Nafl means extra. Uh, and we talked about that in the technical, like technical description of the levels of rulings for the salat. How something is either Fard or it's Nafl and then within Nafl there's three categories: the uh, far, the, uh, they there. Sorry, the um, sunnah muakkada, the emphasized sunnah, like eid, eidain, and uh, Witter or the, uh, uh, the rahiba like the two rak'ahs uh, before salat al-subah, or the normal nawafil, uh, of which there are many types and gradations within that. So a person should pray uh, those nafils, and their, their, their hukum is nafil both in the general and the specific sense. These nawafil, the ones that are before and after the far prayers, they're called the uh, uh, rawatib. Uh, uh, rawatib is uh, the jama, the the plural of the word ratib. Uh, ratib uh, and ra- Rawatib are uh, I mean we'll go over them right now They're essentially um, Before Zuhr and after Zuhr Before Asr, after Maghrib uh, Those are the Rawatib The times that they're, that these um, Nawafil are a sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And um, they're, they're extra And like you can pray extra prayers really any time Except for in the Makruh times but these are the times that the Prophet وسلم, would pray, um, pray extra prayers, and unlike in the Hanafi madhab that has a very uh, uh, dis- like precise description and perhaps even the Shafi'i madhab of like how many raka'as a person should pray uh, at those times. In the Maliki school, in general, even though he brings a prescription right now of praying four raka'as after after the vour, the sunnah, the hukum is that the, the the sunnah is to pray feel before Zuhur, after Zuhur, before Asr, and after Maghrib. And the specific number is not fixed. Yeah, the specific number is not fixed. So a person can pray two, they can pray four, uh, they can pray more than that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that's the, the sunnah is just to pray rawatib before and after Zuhur. Because the thing is, there's so many reports of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. How many did he, did he pray and the, the numbers are not fixed uh, for them, and so the approach I think that the Hanafis and the Shafis take, and you should ask them if you want to know their madhab better. But it's what it seems to me is the approach to, that they take is sifting through the different reports of different numbers and uh, um, and like showing preference to one report over the other. Whereas the Maliki interpretation is that like it's indicative of that just the person should pray. If you have more time, you pray more. If you have less time, you pray less. So, uh, uh, and Allah Allah Ta'ala knows best. At any rate, uh, so that person, he, Ibn Abi Zaid, because he's a muhadith, he seems to prefer a particular number uh, for raka'ath. And it's perhaps that's because of his, uh, in addition to being a faqih, being a, a, a scholar of hadith, but a person in general should just pray uh, um, rawatib. Now, one thing that can guide your rawatib that you pray uh uh before and after zuhur before asr after maghrib is the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that whoever sticks to praying 12 rak'ahs nafl prayer in the day uh um uh, uh um man hafadha ala arba'i raka'atin well we'll get to the 12 in a second man hafadha ala arba'i raka'atin qabla dhuhri wa arba'i ba'daha haramahu allah ala an-nar that that person, uh, the person who Hefav uh, uh, um, uh, means here uh, uh, um, The person who guards The practice of praying uh, uh, Of praying uh, 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 Four rak'ahs before dhuhr and four rak'ahs after dhuhr Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, 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 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will um, uh, uh, make him haram for the fire um and so uh, that's that the 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 with regards to 12 praying 12 uh, uh, raka'at, uh of nafil in the day um and sticking to that tartib i don't recall what the exact wording is but it's also a promise of jannah for the person who who, who prays twelve rakaats in the day, so you know you're gonna imagine you're gonna pray two before before uh, Fajr, right? And then you know you're gonna pray you're gonna pray any number of them. Like people would fit that those twelve in somehow in the day, you know. So if you're at work and you don't got a lot of time, so it's gonna be hard for you to do it before and after. It's before Asr. So those those people would fit them in after Maghrib or they'd fit them in at some other time. Uh, and so uh uh wa alaikum assalam marhaba marhaba mashaAllah akbar so that's 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 also like a, a word of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that that he used to keep that he used to prescribe to his his companions a regular uh, a regimen of, of vicar. and so um, this also is something that comes up uh, um, uh which is uh, uh, um, the question of how those four rak'ahs are prayed, and in general, as a rule in the Maliki school, with the exception of Witr, which has a one raka'ah uh, uh, salat in it, um, all of the nawafil, everything other than the farḍ, um, they're all prayed in sets of two. They're all prayed in sets of two, and the original, the original salat that was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ was two rak'ahs and then afterward, when the five daily prayers become uh, um, Become prescribed, then you have this idea of having a rakaat with three, a salat with three rakaat, and a salat with four rakaat. So, but the nawafil are in that original prophetic uh, model of like how how you're supposed to pray. Um, and so, someone asked Malik رحمه الله تعالى like إن الرسول قال يا رسول الله كيف كيف الصلاة الليلية قالت مثنى مثنى ولا فضل مواتى كان ابن عمر رضي الله عنه يقول الصلاة الصلاة الليلية والنهار مثنى مثنى من كل ركعتين. قال uh وهو الأمر عندنا. so the uh, uh, um, the idea is that like all of the salawat, if someone says there's four rakahs after this or eight rakahs before that or whatever, anything that's not farḍ, you just pray them two by two. so to translate what what uh, what I had read. Um, um, that it's the it's narrated uh, in the Sahihain and in the muwatta that Sayyidina uh, 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 Sayyidina uh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiAllahu anhu said um, That uh, a man once asked a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa How is the prayer in the night and he said two rak'ahs by two rak'ahs uh, two, two at a time um, and uh, 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 the uh, the wording that that's narrated in the muwatta of Imam Malik And the Muatta, by the way, you know, the Muatta was written like more than a hundred years before Bukhari. Um, Bukhari's shortest chain of narration, and the reason he has such a short chain of narration is because he's like the, like top carnivore. He's like the Tyrannosaurus Rex of like the Hadith world, right? No, I mean seriously, right? He's so good that he like he's alive. During Imam Ahmed's uh, uh, life, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, who himself like, was the Amir al Mu'minin the hadith, he was the top carnivore in hadith in his life. And he doesn't need to narrate anything from Imam Ahmed because he has a higher chain of narration. Basically, he hustles his way around and gets to the people who are in Imam Ahmed's shaykh's uh, level and catches them before they pass. So he doesn't even need to narrate one hadith from him. And the Musnad of Imam Ahmed is huge, It's like a, it's, it's like, Bigger than the rest of Sihasita put together, all of those hadiths, he has a higher, he has a higher chain of narration from it for it. The, 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 the shortest chain of narration that that uh, uh, um, uh, Imam Bukhari has is the Thulathiyat. Uh, these are basically those hadiths that are narrated that he caught someone before they passed away, who caught someone before they passed away, who caught someone before they passed away, who caught, away, who caught the Prophet. And so it's an abnormal for his age. Most of his hadith are not. There have four four narrators or more. Uh, but like the uh, uh, um, you know he has a couple of thulathiyat and they're, they're like the like the like, like that's the good stuff, the top shelf, premium organic, like top shelf stuff in Bukhari, right? There are separate books written about the thulathiyat of Bukhari that they just separate them out and then talk about them. Uh, um, so um, that's 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 Sahih Bukhari. The muattab Imam Ahmad, right, or The the muattab Imam Malik, right. Um, his most of his most of his hadith have two uh, uh, links between him and the Prophet sallallahu if not all of them. So his like silsilat al the the golden chain that he narrates is he narrates from Nafi' who narrates from Abdullah bin Omar and. Because he lives in an awkward age, basically if he was like three years older, four years older He would have caught like one of the Sahaba, but you know less than ten years or so He would have caught one of the Sahaba like Sayyidina Imam al Taala, He is like 10-15 years older than than Malik. He catches uh, Imam Ahmed Uh, So he catches not Imam Ahmed, he catches Anas bin Malik, and he catches Like the kind of last of the Sahaba who are still alive uh, and so, despite that, despite not being able to like catch that last uh, uh, generation by just a little bit, um, his his hadiths are narrated with two links between him and the Prophet And one of the reasons people say that the Bukhari is al-Kutub is because Bukhari is all hadiths of the Prophet whereas the Mu'tawwi'im Imam malik has some fiqh opinions in it and some. Uh, um, uh, fat- fatwas of the companions and the the tabi'een in it as well, but the actual hadith hadith of the of 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 of, uh, of the muwatta they are they are they're all of them are basically in all the sitta anyway, and uh, uh, they're of a grade even higher than the sitta are when they're narrated later. Malik is a very unique person in the field of hadith because we're talking about Malik's fiqh in this class, right? But his maqam and hadith is like he was so exacting. Uh, uh, with regards to who you narrate from, the fact that he narrates from somebody, most all, all the not most like every other narrator basically, except for the tabi'in who narrate from the companions. Every other narrator, what happens is they'll narrate from someone, and then the muhaddithin later on will see like, is this a good guy or not? Malik is the Malik is a unique individual that, despite despite being from a later generation, right? Because obviously the tabi'een, they all narrate from the companions. So you, you're, the companions as a rule within the methodology, the Ahl-Sunnah, they're all upright narrators, right? Malik is not, doesn't narrate directly from the companions, right? But Malik is such that when he narrates from somebody, every other muhadith, when they narrate from someone, they look and see is the person they're narrating from good or not. Malik is the one that he narrates from them. So this is a sign that that person is good um he was very he was i mean like he he was so exacting that like i think people would like find it like politically incorrect almost because like he would be like he would just dismiss people he would say like this person is like but he's a pious person he doesn't lie he doesn't he cry praise all night and reads the hadjud and so this is this guy just makes zikr all day he doesn't like know anything about the real world he's such a pious person he never lied in his life so it doesn't occur to him that like anyone else could have lied so i'm not going to narrate his ideas from him you know like which is not the normal way that the muhadithin would, would uh, evaluate these things, right? The guy's like, so, so, probably. there's people like that in every masjid. They're so, probably. you told them, like, I have, you know, I have six, I'm holding up six fingers. They'd be like, subhanAllah, my brother would never lie. And it must be like a, some weakness in me. Like, you know, he, he's like, uh, we're not going to narrate from those people. He wouldn't narrate from Iraqis. Any Iraqis in the house? Yeah. <laughs> Allah. So any Iraqis listening at home? Uh, he wouldn't narrate from Iraqis. Why? Because Iraq, like it Was very like the anti-Medina. Like Medina, everyone is like uh, on the program in Medina, you know. Whereas in Iraq, there are all kind of weird groups, and someone's talking bad about these companions and those companions, and someone is crypto this and that, and showing Islam and hiding weird other beliefs and stuff. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to narrate from uh, from the Iraqis. And he actually did this until uh, I believe is Ayub Sichtiani. He's one of the one of the Iraqi muhaddithin and he, uh, he saw him in Hajj. Malik never left Medina except for Hajj. It was the only time he would ever leave. If he was going to see like a guest off or whatever, he would take them to the edge, edge of the city and then he would go back out of fear that he would die outside of Medina. Uh, and so he made Hajj like, uh, you know, it's interesting my Shaykh, Allah Ta'ala, preserve him and give him long life. He's, um, he's one of the, 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 the highest, uh, uh, both in Sanad and in understanding of the Muhaddithin in the Indian subcontinent. He, he mentioned this, he asked me this question. He said, did Malik ever leave Medina? I said, I never re- read or heard a story of him leaving Medina. And I wouldn't think he would. And he goes, well, if he did, why would he leave? I said, I don't know, maybe like because Hajj is far... He's like, he's like, good thinking. He says, that's the only time Malik ever left. He said, do you know how many times Malik made Hajj? And I was like... I was like, I have no idea And so he had kind of a ginger smile on his face He's like, see, that's what it means to be a alim Is to think about these questions And then like look it up in the books He said, I found evidence for like he said like 11 different hajjas or 13 different hajjas that he went on You know, Those were the real ulama I don't even remember He did the research I don't even remember what he what he said like precisely But it was something like that It was something close to a dozen uh, uh, times he went on hajj and uh, uh, this was corroborated by other ulama who I asked this question of. And uh, um, so at any rate, yeah. So he, uh, 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 um, he saw Ayub Suftiani in Hajj one time. And uh, he saw him weeping in front of the Kaaba, like just in his Toba and his duas and things like that. He just like saw him, he just made it Tawaf and he like, saw like, you know, he saw him. And then like his heart melted, he's like, I know he's an Iraqi and I just, I don't want to narrate from him, but like, th- there's no way this guy's a liar. And so <laughs> like, so he'll like grudgingly, like, like let a, a couple of people in right now. So nowadays people would be like, he's racist to hashtag boycott Malik. But like the point of mentioning all of this is what he was really exacting. Like he would dismiss people for like, for whatever reason. And he would only go to the, the people who he was a hundred percent sure of because he considered the hadith he narrated to be an amana. Uh, uh, because he knew people would follow him afterward. Whereas other muhaddithin are like, you know, who am I? I am nobody. I'm just going to say I heard this from this person, heard that from that person. The other people can then evaluate the chain of narration afterward. Um, The older muhaddithin from the tabi'een and taba tabi'een, like Imam al-Hanifa and things like that, they generally followed this Malik's uh, uh, um, methodology of being really exacting. The muhaddithin that came later... Um, they, they followed the latter methodology which is just narrate everything and say who you heard it from so that the, the record is preserved and then the later generations can scrutinize which uh, hadith they want and which one they don't. The reason for mentioning all of that in the dhimun uh, of the hadith uh, of the fiqh dars is what? Is when Malik narrates something it's like money in the bank. So don't think that like oh it's just narrated in the Muwatta it's not in the Sahih Bukhari or whatever. Bukhari, like all the hadiths of, of, of the Muwatta are in Bukhari. Uh, they're all in Bukhari and Muslim and the Sahih. All of the that they have a preferred narrator that they narrate uh, uh, um, That they narrate the hadith of the Mu'ata from, you know. Um, Muslim is like Yahya bin Yahya al-Tamimi and like, um, uh, what is it, like Tirmidhi and this is like the Sunan narrate from Muhammad al-Maslam uh, al-Qa'nabi. Qa'nabi is interesting guy too. Qa'nabi uh, was like a gangster. Yeah, and he met uh Ba'nabi met met al- Shabi, I think. And uh um it's in it's in, it's in his entry in the in the in in Alam. Like he was like a teenager, like probably fourteen, fifteen years old or something like that, you know. Um he met he met he met Shabi, I think. It was one of the muhaddithin of Deslav. The and uh he saw that this is like a, a person of Deen, you know like he has a turban and like dressed like a scholar or whatever so uh he was drunk he was pissed drunk at the time you know uh, uh he was drunk and now here comes like one of the great walking down the street and you know like scholars are scholars they're not like rolling with bodyguards or nothing right they're usually poor and simple people humble people that mix with the with the masses you know so uh, he goes, "Oh look, you're big mullah, you're big Mullah, you're a big like sheikh, you know Mutawa. M- m- he goes he, he pulls a knife out on him <laughs> when drunk. <laughs> and he goes, "Oh you're, you're a big muhadith, aren't you?" And, and like he goes, "Why don't you tell us a hadith? <laughs> Stuff for Allah and he's, he's drunk." <laughs> And then, and then uh, 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 Shabi says that we narrate from the messenger, Allah sallallahu alayhi wa that that, uh, that from the first teachings of nubu'ah is that if you have no shame, then do whatever you want. And he said that, like he said it, and it like entered into my heart, and he just like started shaking until he dropped the knife, and he like ran home and covered himself in shame. And, uh, uh, you know... Um, then he made Toba, and like you became like a big guy, and like the ashab sunnah narrated from him. Then <sighs> the point is is, uh, is that that Malik's hadith make it into all of the Sitta. Why? Because even the ashab siha they know that the hadith of the muatta are money in the bank. The reason they say that Bukhari is al-Kutub and not the muatta is what is because muatta is uh, Bukhari is all hadith. And the Muatta has like fatwas from the Sahaba and things like that. But the hadiths that are narrated in, in, in the Muatta are all like solid. They're like top shelf even. More, like they're a level like, not to like degrade or anything. They're like a level higher than Bukhari. This is not like me as a Maliki talking. You can talk to the Muhaddithin about that as well. So when we mention that, like, so he, he mentions the narration of, of, of the Muatta as well, right? The narration of Bukhari was that the Salat of the night is two by two. The Laful muwatta is what... And it, it's important to tell these stories, although they're not strictly speaking ilm. Uh, people think like, oh, look... It's the Muwatta, oh look, it's Bukhari, it's a book of hadith, and it's like sahih or whatever, right? Or God knows what's inside of it, and like, I don't know, it sounds weird, or like, it's just not interesting. These Each one of these books is like an in- institution unto itself. There are like dozens of commentaries that are written by it, and no one's going to write a commentary on anybody else's book. If I could have wrote a book better than Bukhari, I wouldn't have quoted Bukhari, I would have quoted my own book. That's how like human beings work, Right. The people who will write a commentary about a book, it's a, like a type of, uh, uh, in general, there's a couple of like sarcastic commentaries that are written, and that's a different like story, but like, not sarcastic, but like, it's like it's a, some people do it in order to troll. But the thing is, even the trolling doesn't make sense until you understand that when you write a book, a commentary on someone else's book, it's you're acknowledging this person is the master in the field. I'm just filling in the details that they missed. I couldn't write that book better myself. So uh, th- these books are like institutions unto themselves, and they were preserved. Imagine in the old days, people had to copy books by hand. If a book is not worthwhile, people are not, that book is not going to survive. You know like in, imagine Bukhari is such a long book. Muatta is like not as long as Bukhari is. Bukhari is such a, and Muslim is even longer than Bukhari is. These are, and the Muatta is not a short book by any stretch of the imagination. These are all really long books. If it wasn't that every letter of the book was like uh, something that if it was lost, nobody could bring it back afterward, no one would have bothered copy them, copying them. Uh, and they wouldn't have made it like some dude who's like sitting in Spain or some dude who's sitting in like Indonesia or whatever would be like, it's not worth my time to copy this. You know, it's just that those books were really that important. And their institutions, their stories about how these things were preserved. It's not just the authors that are incredible. Their Mashaik are incredible and their students that preserve these books and, and, and bring them to us are incredible as well. Once you understand that, then a person's like, OK, it's cool. Like, maybe I want to read it, too, you know. Uh, so it's important to share these stories uh, for those and for other reasons uh, The lafal of the muta, the wording of the hadith in muatta, is that Ibn Umar anh, who said that the prayer of the night is uh, The prayer of the night and the day So the muatta's uh, uh, narration is that it mentions the day as well That the prayer of the night and the day is uh, uh, Two by two and a person should make uh, um, salam between every two rak'az, That You don't just pray them four in a, in a row Um, uh, um uh, uh, and Malik Ta'ala he said that this is this is uh, this is what we give fatwa by this is this is what we uh, uh, when we ask someone asks us like how should we pray this is what we tell them um, and then he, he you know there's there's a bunch of other there's a bunch of other uh, discussion then about like how does how do they respond to the hadith that seem to indicate that the Prophet prayed for in a row and whatever that's a, like inshallah Round two, when you go through the book, round two, inshallah, we'll get through all that stuff. And so, for that reason, know that there is an opinion also that that when you pray four nafils, that you can pray them for in a straight shot with one salam. And the way you do that is that every one of the four rakaas, you should read Fatiha and a surah. You don't pray them like Zohar and asr, right? Every one of the every one of the uh, four rakaas, you pray fatiha, you read Fatiha and a surah and that you uh, read the whole tashahud as if you're going to say salaam. The, not just the tashahud but the salat and salaam and the Prophet and du'as and things like that as if you're going to salaam out and then you just get up and pray. The, the, the only difference is that did you do one salaam or two? Otherwise, essentially the, the entire prayer is the same. Um, so if you see someone else do it, you don't have to tell them you're wrong and you're going to hell and this is bid'ah and don't you know about Imam Malik and you're going to go to hell and all this other stuff. Just chill out, you do your thing, let them do their thing and uh, 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 that's that. So uh, he says to yustahabbu an yutanaffala bi arba'i raka'at wa yusallimu min kulli rak'atayn um wa yustahabbu mithlu dhalika um um mithlu dhalika qabla salat al-asr and just like that it's uh, um also um recommended that a person pray uh before salat al-asr um the idea is that he he means like four rak'at uh, and so the hadith the, the commentary brings a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that he said رَحِمَ اللَّهُمْ رَأَن صَلَّ al and may Allah have mercy on uh, uh, the person who uh, prays four uh, uh before asr du'a'uhu mustajab, and obviously the dua of the person who uh, um, the, the person who uh, um, sorry the dua of the Prophet وسلم, for a person is going to be answered he said, "It's it's going to happen." Culturally speaking, the 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 uh, sunnas before asr are the ones that are like the first ones that go to the chopping block. So this is a uh, this is a sign of a man's piety that they're that they're uh, consistent on praying even the the sunnas before before asr. They, there was a, a a righteous king, a slave king in uh, uh, in India. His name, his name was uh, uh, Iltimush. and he he was slave king. Before him was sorry, uh, there was a righteous slave king Kutbuddin Aybek. Uh, he um, died playing polo, and uh, and then his his um, successor was the Sultan Iltimush. and. Uh, uh, um, I think it was Iltimash, not at the, not at the, not at the, janaza of, of, of Abek, but at the Janazah of his sheikh, um, a story happened. Now, why was, by the way, why would, why would someone die playing polo? Fall off the horse? Yeah, you fall off the horse, break your neck, you have, but like, why? It kind wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that they, the reason they played polo wasn't like the way we play ball today. Why, what is the, the skills that you learn in polo, what is it good for? You're on the back of the horse, you have a stick, and you have to like hit a ball and like manipulate it around and things like that. It's basically training for war and for battle. Right? So you think, okay, pious guy, he died playing polo, like what's, how, where's the two and two coming together? Like that doesn't sound like a good end, but it's essentially the Nia of these people were what? Because they're all like, uh, they, there's, there's slave dynasties all over the Muslim world. Um, and essentially what, how the slave dynasties work in general, although the specifics may vary. There was a very important one in India and there's a very important one in, in, uh, um, in Egypt and Syria as well. And there are other ones as well in other places. The way it worked was this is that like kings used to keep slave armies. Why? Because Muslims didn't want to fight other Muslims for like political squabbles. Like if you're going to fight the crusaders or whatever, people will go sign up. If you're going to go fight the Mongols or whatever and protect the Holy Land or whatever, people will sign up for that. If you're going to go, like, go do dawah somewhere, people will sign up for that type of stuff. They'll give their life for it. But nobody's interested in like you, know, you wrestling your cousin to become king of like, prince in Damascus or whatever. People don't care about those things in general. So either they had, they had to pay people uh, really high amounts or they would basically have slave armies to fight those wars with them. Those slave armies, uh, you know, they would, the, the people, generally they were uh, uh, enslaved from non-Muslim lands. And in both the Indian uh, uh, slave dynasty and in the Egyptian slave dynasty, most of the slaves were either Kurds or Turks or uh, um, Circassians. Circassians are like there's a uh, like they live in the southern part of Russia. They speak a Slavic language. They're essentially like they're like cousins of Russians, basically. Um, these types of these types of people they would be enslaved or they would have slaves that they would buy from the Muslims would buy from them from their markets or they would capture them or god knows how they got them sometimes they got them legitimately and sometimes they got them illegitimately and obviously it's not right to do anything illegitimate and in general people have an aversion to slavery in America but it wasn't the type of slavery we had in the south that was based on color and like all this other nonsense can't teach people how to read this and that so what would happen is that these slaves would become muslims and then they would notice, hey, you know, like our Muslim masters, some of them are really bogus people. They're not really very good Muslims. But still, you're a slave. What are you gonna do? You know. Basically, what happens is like when stuff gets to a point where it looks like like the kuffar are gonna overrun the kingdom, then they'll be like, what can we do? Like we're gonna get o- overrun by idol worshippers. They'll just dis- depose the king and they'll take the reins of the state and they'll they'll run it um on a military like basically like like a medieval type military dictatorship which is efficient it's very efficient and because they're much more pious people they're not born into aristocracy they're not born into money and like pleasure and wasting money on stupid things you know like on luxury types of things generally they're very good rulers and uh, they like in Egypt, they will demolish the uh, the, the the like whatever uh, patrician Arab aristocracy. They'll tell the people of all the high lineages and tribes, we could give less of a damn about you. And the new like the new like enfranchised class uh, becomes ulama because they're more concerned with Deen than they are concerned with like whatever like the the, the lineages of the Arabs or whatever. Um, and so. Uh, um, the story that I wanted to tell was the, the uh, Sultan Il- Iltimash his Sheikh died. His Sheikh was one of the great mashaykh of the, the era and uh, he he made a wasiyah when he died that my janaza should be prayed by someone who never saw the aura of a of a uh, uh, of a non mahram woman and that never missed a uh, a, a salat in congregation since he was uh, uh, baligh since he was, uh, uh, hit the age of puberty, and never missed the, the, the sunnahs of Asr. And they, they combed through Delhi looking for somebody like that, and they couldn't find him. And finally, you know, the Sultan is like, you know, like he he steps forward in the majma and he says to the, you know, to the shaykh that you like, you revealed my secret in front of everybody. Like Allah forgive you, you revealed my secret in front of everybody. And he led the salat. Um, and so we have, we have pious people like that who who rule as well. The point is, is this is that why is the messenger of Allah, saying may Allah have mercy on the the, the, the one who prays four raqaz before Asr. In general, nowadays, like man, sunnah is just like, Sunnah is just like a synonym for like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, like, we're not going to do it. But like, look at the, look at the, uh, uh, the love of the Prophet and the desire and the dua that he gives for the person, who, uh, um, for the person who, uh, who, who keeps his sunnah, you know, at a time where people waste it. Like, I recognize the fact that like the people in this room, how am I going to ask you guys to pray your uh, sunnahs before Asr when like I oftentimes skip them myself? You know what I mean? Uh, Allah Ta'ala give all of us tawfiq. But it's at some point or another, it's it's something when you think about it that way, that the Messenger of Allah sallam he inaugurated these sunan for the benefit of the Ummah and he wished that they would be held on to and he made dua for those people, then a person is like, one day, like if you're like, oh look, Salat is at 325, and I find myself at the masjid at 320. Like you're like, you know, I may as well, instead of checking my Facebook, or like Twitter, for like the 20 millionth time, like this hour, um, let's just go ahead and pray for it, just you know, just so that we can show face on the day of judgment, you know, like that we did it at least once, you know, Uh, um, that a person should have like a good feeling toward it, not feel like it's like a pious waste of time, or something like that. Uh, So, uh, 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 he mentions and he said that it that a person should also likewise pray four rakaats before before asr. The fatwa of the madhab is that it doesn't have to be four. The sunnah is fulfilled by two, four, six, eight, um, as many as a person wants to do or as few, and they should be done two by two. كَمَا وَصَفْنَا فِي الْوُحُرِ سَوَاءً إِلَّا أَنَّهُ يَقْرَأُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى يَنِي مَعَ أُمِّ الْقُرآنِ بِقِصَارِ بِالقِصَارِ مِنَ السُّورِ مِثْلُ مِثْلُ الْضُحَى وَإِنَّا أَنْزَلْنَاهُ وَنَحُوُهُمَا so um, he says that the, the, the Salat al-Asr is prayed just like the Dhuhr is, but the Dhuhr, the surah should be longer. They should be like longer, like like sh- slightly shorter than Fajr. As long or slightly shorter than Fajr. Whereas Asr, the Surahs are shorter. Um, they should be from the Qisar al-Mufassal, either from the osat or from the Qisar al-Mufassal, like وَالضُحَى idha Inna al qadr. Uh, um, so that's the way that the uh, the asr prayer is prayed. Are there any questions? Yeah. Um, so for the four, um, so asr, how does that fit into the twelve rakahs? See, that's the thing. The hadith of the twelve. The meaning of the hadith is what. Uh, uh, The meaning of the hadith is what? Is that that you just pray 12. So so maybe the other madhabs interpret it as like a particular set of 12, but like Malik, he gave fatwa that that there should just be nuffled before Lohur, after Lohur, before Asr, you know, after Maghrib. So you fit them in however you wish to, however it makes sense for you. This is just my understanding. It was. Putter, um, See, that's that what you're doing right now? That's what the Hanafi Madhab does. Oh, oh. You know, which is fine. And okay. that's cool too. And like you for yourself as like an individual, it's not only okay, it's good to like set a a, a, a regimen for yourself that you stick to because we're all creatures of habit and oftentimes you don't make habits of these things. You're just going to like... Kick the can down the road until the day's over, and then you're gonna be like, ah, it's not farther anyway. You know what I mean? But uh, uh, but yeah, the the twelve you you get them in however you need to. Okay. Yeah. Inshallah. So, any other questions, or should we continue? Uh, okay. So then he he mentions about maghrib. وأما المغرب فيجهر بالقراءة في ركعتين الأولىين uh, 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 الْأُولَيَنِ منها uh, ويقرأ في كُل ركعة منهما uh, uh, بأمر القرآن وسورة من السور القصاري uh, وفي الثانية بأمر القرآن فقط وفي This is a typo uh, um, and there are a lot of typos there are a lot of typos in these books unfortunately. Um, so the Maghrib is prayed like uh, uh, like the the Asr is, with the difference that there's three raka'as instead of four. You you read the Fatiha and the uh, uh, the another surah, short surah, in the um, in the first two raka'as and the Fatiha quietly uh, only in the third and then a person makes tashahd uh, a second time in the third rakah and then they say salam. So the sunnah in Maghrib is that the, the recitation should be short. So imagine if one person reads a short recitation in Maghrib and one person reads a long, long recitation, which one will receive more reward? The short one, the short one because you're doing what the Prophet did. It's good though but like you know if you do it with that intention. So a person should know what the sunnah is so that they can practice it and they can receive the reward for it. Um uh, the reason the reason that Maghrib is short was mentioned earlier uh, uh, in a darst that I gave several months ago, which is that the the time of Maghrib is uh, 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 dim- like it's it's all diminishing, it's all immediate. So unless you're actually traveling or you have some sort of like medical excuse or whatever, when Maghrib comes in you should pray right away. Uh, it's excused enough time to make wudu and like prepare, you know yourself, but like basically it's the time of Maghrib is it's a very short time and a person should pray uh, uh, within that time and if they delay beyond it it's it's uh, like they missed the prime time for it um, so uh, the maghrib prayer is, a, is a, the, the summary is that the maghrib prayer is a short prayer <laughs> wa tanaffulu bayna al maghrib wa al isha'i murghabun fihi wa amma ghayru dhalika min sha'niha fa kama taqaddama dhikruhu fi layliha so he mentions this, he mentions that that uh, there are two uh, 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 rak'ahs uh, um there are two rak'ahs uh, uh, that a person should pray after maghrib so that means that a person should pray at least two rak'ahs after Maghrib. Uh, there is a, a, a qoul, there is an, a, an a opinion. Uh, 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 there is an opinion that uh, uh, that those two rak'ahs are also uh, in the same status of a rahiba like the two rak'ahs before Fajr. Although the fatwa is not on this opinion, um, uh, the Prophet وسلم, almost never missed these two rak'ahs, if ever. Uh, after, after Maghrib there's a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, narrated by Abdul Razak in his jami' uh, he said Man uh, 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 Katabata العلي, he said that whoever prays two raqahs after Maghrib those two rak'ahs will be recorded in the highest part of Jannatul al uh, um, <coughs> and uh, uh, the Sheikh uh, 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 sorry uh, Razin he uh, narrates in his Jamia, and Razin is a famous famous muhaddith. Um, his book is only in manuscript; it's not been published yet. Uh, and it's actually referenced by a number of other muhaddithin in published books. The only reason I know about it is because it's referenced in other books. Otherwise, Razin is still in manuscript, uh, in manuscript form. One might ask, why isn't it bit like put together and printed? I don't know, because everyone's busy becoming a doctor and engineer. I don't know. People are playing basketball. I have no idea, you know, why. Uh, uh But uh you know, um, still the, the the top class ulama still, you know, will read the manuscripts as well uh to this day. Um, but at any rate, uh, it's uh, it's narrated that, uh, uh, that by in Razin's Jam jamia, that uh, the the prophets Allah said Ta'ajjalu Ta'ajjalu بعد المغرب فإنهما يرفعاني مع المكتوبة he said that hasten to praying two rak'ahs after Maghrib because the time of them is uh, it, it elapses with the time of the farḍ. Uh, uh, and a possible meaning of this is that the the deed the deed is uh, uh, escalated with with the, with the farḍ. Meaning, if you wait afterward, like it's as if you missed the time. Ibn Abi Zayd uh, in, uh, continues. He says that uh, وَمَا زَادَ فَهُوَ خير and as as much as a person can uh uh um increase uh over the 2 uh, then there's good in it فَفِي Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah or Ibn Majah afwan الْمَغْرِبِ salla رَكَعَةً would al لَهُ بَيْتًا فِي uh baytan fil jannah whoever prays uh, uh, 20 rak'ahs after maghrib Allah ta'ala will build that person a house in jannah وَإِن تَنَفَّلَ بَعْدَ تَنَفَّلَ says Ibn Abi Zayd رَكَعَاتٍ If a person prays six after maghrib then that's good as well اَيْ مُسْتَحَبُّ لِحَدِيثِ مَنْ صَلَّ بَعْدَ الْمَغْرِبِ سِتَّ رَكَعَاتٍ لم يتكلم بينهن بِسُوءٍ عَدَلْنَ لَهُ عِبَادَةَ ثْنَي عَشَرَ سَنَة وقيل من عبادة بني إسرائيل وورد من صلى بعد المغرب ست ركعات غفرت ذنوبه وإن كانت مثل إن كانت مثل مثل زبد البحر وورد من صلى ست ركعات بعد المغرب قبل أن يتكلم غفرت له بها ذنوب خمسين سنة uh, uh, so there are three uh, hadith about the reward of praying uh, six rakaat after uh, after Maghrib. Uh, um, one is that whoever prays after Maghrib six rakaat, such that they that between the Maghrib and between the finishing of the six rakaat, a person doesn't speak any evil, any ill. And I would think that reading things on your phone that are evil is included in that. So that a person shouldn't look at like the non-mahram, the, the, or shouldn't text stupid things or LOL and this and that and type of nonsense back to each other. That they should focus. It should be like one package. Um, whoever prays six, after Maghrib six rakat and he doesn't speak evil between them. Uh, 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 those six will equal for him uh, um, the, the worship of 12 years. Uh, and uh, it's written in the in the uh, commentaries That this is 12 years of the Banu Israel Meaning those people who would Make jihad fi sabilillah in the day And pray in the night uh, And it, that hadith is narrated That whoever prays uh, um, After maghrib six raka'at That person's uh, uh, sins will be forgiven Even if they're as numerous As the bubbles of froth on the ocean uh, And it's narrated that Whoever prays six raka'at after maghrib uh, before uh, uh, speaking that person their uh, sins are forgiven uh, their sins of 50 years are forgiven obviously that's uh, uh, um, predicated on making Toba from major sins and and, and making right um, those transgressions and wrongs that you did uh, against other people um, that the sins that are that are not major sins or the sins that are major sins that are Toba that, that a person made Toba from and didn't and like don't involve the rights of others. That those sins will be forgiven. And those sins that involve the rights of others, you f- fix the rights of others. The part of them that are uh, connected with the right of Allah, Allah will uh, um, Allah will forgive them. So this is good. People do some dumb stuff, you know. Someone is like watching something that they shouldn't be watching. Somebody's smoking something they shouldn't be smoking, which is basically everything. Somebody's shooting up something that shouldn't be shooting up. Somebody's like talking to someone they shouldn't be talking to. Someone's doing other fun activities with people that they shouldn't be doing. Someone's backbiting another person. Somebody's doing God knows people do all kinds of crazy things. Somebody's eating the money, you know, you know, like eating ill gotten money, you know. Obviously, if you're you you know if you're if you're stealing from someone you have to return the money to them but there are some things that are like like people like if you sell sell a, a, a you know like I don't know like a bank loan to somebody who's not a Muslim or whatever as they did it knowing what the transaction is then there's no it's not considered a loan that you have to return to that person but like uh, um, it's a sin nonetheless right people are doing all sorts of sins if a person does bad things let them make toba and stop if the stigma of the sin like stays with them then this, the deen has so many things like this. Like, you know, the person slips up and does something stupid, then go, like, it's, mashallah, go pray Maghrib in the masjid, then pray six raka'ahs afterward, you know? And then, like, try, not, try, try to do better tomorrow. Try not to do what you were doing last night, tomorrow, you know? And Toba, the thing is with Toba, Toba is like, part of Toba is you actually have to, like, at least make a good faith effort not to do the sin again. You know, uh, a person shouldn't delay making Toba because of the fear that they may fall into the sin again. That fear is real always. Uh, uh, and so, if a person had to be able to guarantee that they won't do it again, then no one would be ever, to, ever make, able to make toba ever. But it should be a good faith effort at least. But don't make the toba of uh, what uh, Sayyidina Fudail bin Ayad says like the the, the 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 like thief thief's toba, which is to say, Oh ya Allah, forgive me. I turn to you in repentance, and you already have planned when you're going to do the thing again next time. Uh, but like, you know, obviously, that with notwithstanding, if you make tawbah from a thing, then like, do something like this. Um, uh, follow a good, uh, 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 a bad deed with a good deed, so that Allah may uh, erase and efface the, the evil effect of a bad deed on a person's heart and from a person's book of deeds. Um, and in general, so he mentions, that in general, it's good that a person should pray uh, um, between Maghrib and isha. Um, and he narrates the Hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم عليكم <laughs> the <laughs> بين المغرب والعشاء فإنها al-Nahari, and to وتذهب Habu, to the Habu, to the Habu, to the With to the Habu, with uh, akhirahu, uh, that the Prophet said that you should, you know, like you should take responsibility to pray between maghrib and ishā because it will uh, um, unburden from a person, It'll throw away from the slave the falsehood and uh, idleness, like stuff a person does during the day that like doesn't befit a person who worships Allāh Ta'ala and uh, uh, lets the last part of the day become clean then. <speaking Chinese> uh, he said that the best hours many people pass them in heedlessness which is the, the salat between maghrib and isha uh, and حذيفة بن اليمن uh, 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 said that I came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I prayed with him the Maghrib and he prayed until the Isha and narrated it Nasa'i with a this is a, a Nasa'i narrates Nasa'i narrates with a good with a good chain of narration that Hudhayfah ibn al Yaman radiallahu anhu said that I came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and I prayed Maghrib with him and he prayed all the way until Isha so this is also something the Prophet ﷺ used to do. For even from our mashayikh in the Indian subcontinent, uh Shaykh al-Hadith Muana Zakariya rahimullah ta'ala, he mentions that when he was a young man, uh, he would see his father and his uncles pray between uh, Maghrib and Isha, And he said that I would join them and try to pray the whole time, and they would yell at me that you have you're a student of knowledge, you have to study your dars. You know, don't start doing all this stuff right now, otherwise you're gonna like never learn anything, you know. But the point is, is what, you know, uh, he said that I saw my elders doing this thing and like, you know, he, I was attracted to it. But because I was a student of knowledge at that time, remember the studying knowledge is uh, after the fard, the fard everyone has to do. But after the fard, studying knowledge is the highest road to, uh, 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 to the pleasure of Allah. The farth part of knowledge is higher than the farth part of ibadah, because what's the farthest part of knowledge is a person's aqidah, without which the salat is not valid anyway. And the Nafl part of knowledge is greater than the Nafl part of Ibadah uh, um, uh, But like, you know, there's a time at which a person has like, learned as much darsa as they're going to learn in the day And then they should when you're, when you're done with one way of pursuing the pleasure of Allah, then you take rest in, in, in another In another so, uh, but this is the, this, when everything's said and done, when you learned what you need to learn and all that other stuff, this is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that between Maghrib and Isha, this is a, a time for, uh, this is a time for, um, for worship. Uh, I think that's inshallah, that's, that's good for today.